Well, hello, everyone. I pointed this out at the last service because it had just happened again for the millionth and two times. But did y'all see that girl on the video? That's Cameron. See this girl right here? Not Cameron. <laughs> Seriously, this is what happened two weeks ago. I got called Cameron twice in the 9 o'clock service. That's why I'm pointing this out today. But you people have called me Cameron so many times that I was sitting in my office talking to Cameron two weeks ago, and I called her Carmen. Now I'm confused. <laughs> okay. For real. All right. So uh, Steve got diagnosed with COVID this week, and Joe is at the beach preaching this morning. So if y'all will remember them in prayer, and uh, pray that his family stays healthy, and he comes back to work. So let's, let's take a minute to pray. Father in heaven, we do pray for Steve and his family and um, what they're fighting in this COVID. Lord, we, we uh, pray that you will fall down on this service, Lord, that you will help these people know Cameron from Carmen, that you will <laughs> hide, your, um, hide your word in their hearts, Lord. We come here to magnify and glorify you because you are worthy. This time is not about us. It's not about our preferences. It's not about what we want or what we're seeking, Lord. It's all about you. And so we lay down self right now, Lord. Your word says if we are to be your disciples, we must set aside self, take up our cross and follow you. So we do that this morning, Lord. Help us to focus on you. Help us to learn from you this morning that when we leave this place, will be somehow better, somehow, somehow more like Jesus, somehow more full of your spirit, more salt and light for our community, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so last week, Joe started this new series about King David, which happens to be one of my favorite people in the Bible. So today we're in part two, and here's what we're going to learn. The ways of God are most unappealing and seemingly irrelevant when we are angry, isolated, and afraid. These three conditions have the potential to undermine even the most dedicated, devout, and disciplined people among us. And the reason for this is, is when we are overwhelmed and our emotions are high, we feel compelled to act. Now, David had two colossal failures in his life. One we'll talk about later. It's famous. It happened when he was in his 50s and he was a king. This one happens when he's in his 20s. So last week, we followed David into the Valley of Elah where he faced Goliath. And after he killed Goliath, he became overnight the most famous person in Israel. He was somewhere around 15 years old and everybody knew his name. They were writing songs about him. He was an absolute legend. Now, King Saul was Israel's first king, and he was extraordinarily insecure. If you have not read his story, I suggest you go home and do so. It's in uh, 1 Samuel, and, and you'll see that even when Samuel was trying to anoint him king over Israel, he was hiding among the luggage. So Saul was very, very disturbed by David and he wanted to come up with a way to either get rid of him or control him so he hatches this plan he's going to marry him to his daughter and David says I'm not worthy to be the king's son-in-law and my family's not a famous family or a rich family so I am not worthy 
so time went by and Saul continued to look for ways to control David but as love would have it David fell in love with another one of Saul's daughters her name was Michael and they did get married and at the time David's very best friend was Jonathan which was Saul's son and Saul realized that getting David into his family was not a good idea, right? Because now David is more powerful and more influential and everybody loved him. So he becomes very jealous and his, frustrate, his frustration culminates one night while they're having dinner. First Samuel 20 verses 30 and 31 say, Saul's anger flared up at Jonathan and he said to him, you son of a perverse and rebellious woman. <laughs> I know, you, you think we shouldn't say that in church, right? It's in the Bible. Don't I know that you have sided with the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of your mother who bore you? As long as the son of Jesse lives on this earth, neither you nor, neither you nor your kingdom will be established. Now send someone to bring him to me, for he must die. So as Saul's son, Jonathan would be the next king, right? But Jonathan understood that God had already made David king and he loved David and he was going to be obedient to God. So Jonathan goes to David and he says, David, you have to leave town. In fact, you probably ought to leave the country because my dad is not going to rest until you die. So here was, here was David. He's in his early 20s. He was up on the high, the mountaintop. Now he's down in the valley. He's afraid for his life. He's all alone. And he has been rejected by the very person that he has risked his life for over and over again. And David had done nothing wrong, but yet he was abandoned, angry, and afraid. And he did what most of us do when we're abandoned, angry, and afraid. He panicked. He decided to take matters into his own hands, and he lost sight of the fact that God was with him and that God was for him. So we look at David and we ask, how did this happen? Why would you make decision like that? Why would you panic? Why would you run? Why would you abandon your morals and your ethics? And there are people watching us right now and they see the struggles and issues in our life and they're wondering the very same thing. Why would they do that? In fact, let's be honest. We can all look back on a season of our lives and go, why did I do that? Why did I call him back? Why did I say yes to that invitation? Why did I spend that money? Why did I go into debt? Why didn't I just run away? Well, when we feel abandoned and angry and afraid, we panic. And that's what David did. So here's what happened. In 1 Samuel 21, 1 through 4, David went to Nob to Ahimelech, the priest. And Ahimelech trembled when he met him. And he asked, why are you alone? Why is no one with you? Now he asked this because David usually traveled with thousands of warriors, right? So if David was coming, you knew it because you heard him a long time before you saw him. So David answered Ahimelech in the only way that he knew how. He lied. He was lying because he was afraid. He didn't really think it was the right thing to do, but he was afraid. And 
David answered Ahimelech and he says, the king sent me on a mission and said to me, no one can know anything about this mission I'm sending you on. As for my men, I told them to meet me in a certain place. He didn't have any men, but he was afraid. And if he tells the truth, he thinks Ahimelech's not going to help him. So now in verse 3, it says, Now then, what do you have on hand? Give me five loaves of bread or whatever you can find. So now David's here without food, and he's hungry. And Ahimelech's probably thinking, this is just weird. Here you are, you're by yourself, and you're hungry. The king's son-in-law, who is the captain of his bodyguard, shows up without food, all by himself, on a secret mission from the king, and his men are hiding somewhere. His wheels are spinning, right? So verse 4 says, But the priest answered David, I don't have any ordinary bread on hand. However, there is some consecrated bread here, provided that the men have kept themselves from women. Now every Sabbath, the priest would break fresh bread and put it on the altar before the Lord. And in the next morning, they would come back and God did not eat it. So they, but it was consecrated, so it was holy bread. So then they would take it into their own homes and they would eat it. But since it was consecrated and holy, they had to be ceremonially clean in order to do so. So the priest gave David the consecrated bread. So now David has lied about why he's there, what's going on, and why he needs to eat. So if you were here last week or you heard the first part of the series, you might wonder what, what happened to this David who wrote, in you I put my trust, my hope is in you all day long. What happened to that guy? That in God you are my refuge and I run to you in the time of trouble. Verse 8 says, David asked Ahimelech, don't you have a spear or a sword here? I haven't brought my sword or any other weapon because the king's mission was so urgent. At this point, Ahimelech's going, oh, wait a minute. You're the most famous warrior in the nation. You show up by yourself. You haven't slept in days. You don't have any food. Now you don't have a weapon. The priest replies, the, son of, the sword of Goliath the Philistine, whom you killed in the valley of Elah, is here. Now, when David beheaded Goliath, he had kept the sword of a, as a souvenir, right? So he put it in his tent, but out of gratitude for God, he later took it and dedicated it to God and gave it to the high priest. And he said, God, I recognize that I did not deliver myself with this weapon. It was you who delivered me. So I want to give this weapon back to you as a reminder that I am dependent upon you. So what happened to this clear-eyed, courageous, God-fearing little shepherd boy who looked at the giant who was a battle-hardened warrior and he said, you come at me with a sword and a spear and a javelin, but I come at you in the name of the Lord God of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied in this day, I'm going to strike you down. I'm going to take your head from you and I'm going to feed it to all the carcasses of the hosts of the Philistine to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the field so that the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. That's good stuff, y'all. And this assembly will know and those who are gathered here will know that it is not by sword 
or spirit that the Lord says, for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hands. There you go again, Bill. What happened to that kid? What happened to the boy that ran towards danger instead of away from it? What happened to the poet who wrote the famous words, I will fear no evil for you are with me. The answer is he was afraid. Fear, anger, loneliness. These three giants have the potential to cause all of us to forget that we have defeated giants in the past. But this sword becomes a visual aid to remind David of God's faithfulness and his power. So the priest replied, The sword of Goliath the Philistine who you killed in the valley of Elah is here. It is wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If you want it, take it. There is no sword here but that one. Now this would be the decision that David would regret for the rest of his life. And it became a part of, permanent part of the story of his life. As we read in verse 9, it says, David said, there is none like it. Give it to me. David had literally taken matters into his own hands. And we're about to see the disastrous outcome of that decision. But this is where our stories intersect with that of David, right? When we need God most, oftentimes we're less apt to turn in his direction. When we need God most, we are oftentimes tempted to run away from him rather than toward him. And it's so interesting because we see this in other people so easily, right? Your friends right now are making terrible decisions based on their anger, based on their fear, based on their sense of abandonment. And you're thinking, you're just going to make things so much more complicated by behaving the way that you're behaving. You're going to cause yourself to have more regret. And it's so easy to see this when we look in the lives of others, but it's so hard to see when we're looking in the mirror. And here's why. Because you convinced yourself, like I convinced myself, that our situation is different. You don't understand. That's exactly what David thought. He thought what we think. If God were really with me, if he were really for me, this would not be happening to me. How many thought, have y'all ever thought that? I have. And here's one of the things that I've learned through years of being a Christian, following Jesus. It's easy to trust God when you have nothing to trust him with and nothing to trust him for. It's easy in those times with just to show up and serve and be faithful and smile and I am blessed. But it's harder to trust him when things that you value start to slip away. So David takes Goliath's sword and he knows he has to leave the country. So where do you think he goes? To the land of the Philistines. That's probably not a good move. Show up in the land of the Philistines with Goliath's sword. Not only that, the very city he chose, chose to go to was Gath, which was where Goliath was from. But he's panicking. He's afraid. And so David goes to the king of the Philistines, the leader of that time, and he says, I want to harm your army. I want to fight with against, my, against my own people. This guy's not buying it. He says, everybody you are, you are. We know you killed Goliath. 
and your and your and this sword this sword. Then David and David becomes really afraid. Now he now he was here I am I am this guy's not this guy's not and I'm by my enemy enemies. So now what does he do? He he pretends saying he's he's scratching nails on the wood and he starts slobbering all over himself and he says. The king says, okay, I got enough fools in this court. We need to get this guy out of here. So David flees the Philistines, and he goes and he lives in a cave because he doesn't know what else to do. He's abandoned, right? He's angry. He's alone, and he doesn't deserve this. And then finally, he comes to his senses, and he goes back to his country, and he finds another prophet, and he says, I've really messed up. I want to know what God's will is. Would you seek the Lord on my behalf? But the problem is the damage is already done. You see, when David was there having that conversation with Ahimelech, and Ahimelech gave him the bread and the sword, there was somebody else there as well. This is a guy named Doeg. And Doeg was the chief herdsman for King Saul. And he saw David, and he overheard a little bit of the conversation, just enough to go running back to King Saul. And in, in uh, Samuel 22, verse 10, it says, Ahimelech inquired of the Lord for him, talking about David. So David showed up and Ahimelech seeks the Lord on his behalf. He also gave him provisions and he gave him the sword of Goliath, the Philistine. So in other words, David has helped your enemy. He fed him and he armed him. So verse 11 goes on to say, Then the king sent for the priest, Ahimelech, son of Ahituf, and all the men of his family, who were the priests of Nob, and they all came to the king. Now Paul said, Saul said to him, Why have you conspired against me, you and the son of Jesse, giving him bread and a sword and inquiring of God with him, so that he has rebelled against me and lies in wait for me as he does today? Now, Ahimelech answered the king, who of all of your servants is as loyal as David, the king's son-in-law, captain of your bodyguard and highly respected in your whole household? Was that day the first time I ever inquired of God for him? Of course not. Let not the king accuse your servant or any of his father's family, for your servant knows nothing about this whole affair. But the king said, you will surely die, Ahimelech, you and your whole family. Then the king ordered the guards at his side, turn and kill the priests of the Lord because they have sided with David. They knew that he was fleeing and they did not tell me. But the king's officials were unwilling to raise a hand and strike the priests of the Lord. Well, thank God, somebody's finally making sense. But Doag... The chief herdsman thought, this is my opportunity. You know, I can get in good with the king. And he raised his hand and he said, if they won't kill him, I will. And Doag then slaughtered 85 priests. But Saul wasn't finished. He says, now I want you to go into Nob and I want you to kill every man, every woman, every child, and every infant. Very few people escaped the slaughter. And one of those was Ahimelech's son. 
He fled to David. He fell down at his feet, and he told David the entire story. And David was absolutely broken. And in 1 Samuel 22, 22, David says, I am responsible for the death of your whole family. Now I want to ask you some questions as we think about how this story intersects with our own. What is your loneliness, your anger, or your fear making you consider that you would never have considered before? Relationally, financially, physically, some sort of thing that you're contemplating that you would never have contemplated before. Maybe you're thinking about re-embracing one of your old habits that you've spent hours and days and weeks and years and thousands of dollars to get rid of, but suddenly you're thinking about taking it up again. The next question is, who is your loneliness, your fear causing you to consider? Because what's going on at home, what's going on financially, what's going on in some other area of your life, suddenly you're considering a decision that you have no business as a child of God entertaining. And now here's your wake-up call to that question. And it's the thing that David had missed completely. Who besides you do your considerations put at risk? I already know the answer to that question. And it's the people that you love most in this world and the people who love you the most in this world. Who else's future hangs in the balance of your personal decisions to give in to the impulsive impulse caused by anger, abandonment, and fear? I have one last question. What advice would you give someone? What would you tell yourself? Now, the interesting thing about this question is that we know the advice that David would have given himself. Not this young man in his 20s, but the now grown-up King David would later give give himself this own advice. And it's journaled. In the pages of the word for us, it says, The Lord is a refuge for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. So the Lord's the answer. It's not a drug. It's not alcohol. It's not an affair. It's not another person. It's not all that debt that comes with that new car, that new house. It's nothing else that you can list because the Lord God is your refuge. A stronghold is the word that we don't use very much, so we may not get what it means. It's a, it's a place that in times of war, the people could run to. It was a refuge in times of trouble. God is our stronghold. David later, later wrote, those who know your name trust in you. Lord, have never forsaken those who seek you. I thought I had been forsaken, David would say, but I was mistaken because God was with me. Don't make the mistake of thinking that God has forsaken you either. And then here's something for those of you who are skeptical. A thousand years later, after this happened, David's most famous descendant would gaze into the eyes of some frightened, angry, abandoned, and overtaxed Israelites 
and he would say, come to me. In Matthew eleven twenty eight and 29, Jesus says, come to me all you labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. So if you feel forsaken this morning, I guarantee that you are mistaken. God is with you. That is what Jesus would say. And that is what David would say. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for what we can learn from your word. Thank you that Jesus bid us all come to him. Come for rest. Your word says come so many times. Come and eat. Come and drink. Come for rest. Come and join me in relationship. Just come to me. And Lord, if there be anyone here that is not yet open that door that you are knocking on, Lord, I pray that today will be the day that they open the door and allow you into their heart. We love you and we thank you for all that you do. In Jesus' name, amen.